Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to the Cosmo Happy Hour. It's everything you would talk about with your best friends, from sex to celebrity to entertainment. From the editors of Cosmopolitan.com, this is the Cosmo Happy Hour with Elisa Benson. Breakups failing exams, not getting that promotion at work. All things that happened to me basically this morning. Um, Failure and rejection totally suck, but at some point in life, it's inevitable. According to a study from Harvard University, women are actually less likely to major in a certain field if they didn't do super well in their very first course. Women are holding themselves to a higher standard and are more quickly discouraged, not just in school, but in careers and relationships too. So why are we so hard on ourselves and how do we cope when things don't go as planned? I'm Elisa Benson. This is Cosmopolitan.com's Happy Hour podcast. And today we're talking about a subject that is very near and dear to me, failure and rejection. (laughs) Joining me on the panel today is Cosmopolitan.com's entertainment director, Patty Greco. Hi, Patty. Hi, I'm a failure. (laughs) That's why you're here, Patty. I invited all my favorite Failures. Why did I get picked for this? All the editors you could choose from. Who could talk about failure best? Mm, who's the biggest failure at Cosmo? <laughs> no, um, I brought you on for your um, endless optimism oh, okay. in the face of failure. Interesting. Interesting. I am listening to a lot of positive affirmations lately on YouTube. Yes. Um, ha- which ones have you internalized and made your own? Um, I... Like which people or just yeah things? or just like aphorisms like what's okay. changing your life? So one is um, if you don't like something, you either have to change it or accept it. Yeah. So in other words, get over it or do something about it. Right. Um, and then I just like today is going to be a good day. Like, yeah. It's like somebody hearing uh, saying that in a very methodical way. Um, it kind of reminds me, and I know you'll get this because you are also a Grey's Anatomy stan, mm-hmm. like I am. But you know, McDreamy TBT. But, you know, he used to always start his surgeries and say, today is a beautiful day to save lives. Right. Yeah. I now finally get it. Yeah. Even though I've, <laughs> like, I've never saved anyone's no, life, including my own. But yeah, the sentiment is there. Um, one of my favorite go-to phrases, I've maybe even said this on the podcast before, but I always like to say nothing is permanent. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's just very, like, to the point. I always mm-hmm. say that I would, like, if I ever get a tattoo, which I never would because I'm non-committal, but if I ever did, I would get one that says nothing is permanent, which is, like, cheesily metal. Meta. Meta, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Irony. That's a better word. Um, don't you think, Patty, it's true as a woman? Like, I just feel like a giant failure pretty much all the time. I just as a woman. Yeah. Yeah, I think that we're definitely set up with a lot of high expectations across the board, what we look like, who we're with relationship-wise. At work, we have to outperform men just to get noticed. Um, And so I do think that there's a unique pressure on us in that way. Um, But I think it's also because we are not as inclined to brag about our successes or feel good about them. And so a lot of times we might have those same feelings of success, but we're not indulging them as much, and Mm -hmm. we let them pass us by too quickly. So maybe one way 
to feel less like a failure is to indulge more often in our successes. Just like brag all the time. Yeah, you have yeah, a you're podcast. Right. Yeah, I have a podcast. Hosting. I have a podcast. You have a great job, <laughs> yeah. et cetera. Yeah, no, life is good. You're right, you're right. I don't even, I don't know why I said that. I don't what think did I, say? I, I was just like, I feel like <laughs> a failure happening? all the time. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's yeah. just, I mean, we were talking about this on the way here, but it has just been a tough couple of weeks. Yeah. Um. So... Yeah, just feeling a little like down today. Yeah, blue. But it blew. It blew. But we have an amazing roster of guests that are going to hopefully be way less downery than I was just now. So, um, Patty, are you ready to make a few phone calls? Yes. Yes. All right, let's do it. Our first guest has probably interviewed more celebs than I have, which actually I don't even know if that says that much. But she is a television host, actress, and talent coach. You've seen her on E!, Fox News, The Onion News Network, and that's just naming a few. Welcome, Suzanne Sena. Hi, Suzanne. How are you? Hi. Hi. I'm doing great. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Thank you so much for um, tuning in with us to talk about failure, which actually... (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, you just can't have the value of a success without some failure, right? Yeah. I love the you're immediately putting a silver lining on it. I feel like Patty and I were being a little grumpy about it earlier, to be honest. <laughs> you know, I don't have statistics in front of me, but I think you can Google and see, you know, out of all the successful people that there are and have been in our history, most of them failed many, many, many times before ever making it. And I always feel, quite honestly, um, that making it in our business isn't so much about being talented um, or even being the best for a certain job. I really believe it's about the endurance to be able to keep going no matter how many times it doesn't work out for you because eventually it does. Um, I think that I love your optimism and I feel like you have such a great point of view to speak about this on because working in the entertainment industry, I mean, everyone knows that it's just, it's brutal. You know, did people (laughs) warn you about that going into it, that it wouldn't be easy? You know, when I was growing up, I was in uh, Michigan and outside Detroit, and people where I lived had no concept of working in television. I mean, it wasn't something that was taught. It wasn't something that was encouraged. So when I was really young and people would say, what do you want to do? I'd say, I want to be an actress. And they would laugh and say, that's cute, but what do you really want to (laughs) do? You know, so yeah, I suppose there was, um, there wasn't a whole lot of support for this type of industry uh, and pursuing it as a career when I was growing up. But Going forward, um, I just didn't know to not feel good about it. You know, I just kind of always had an attitude about going forward and doing what I want and tell people what it is I want to do and um, and keep following my passions. And I, I kind of used to term it blissful ignorance. Like I had no idea <laughs> that it should be intimidating or it should be hard. I just, I just kind of did it. Um, I love that. And so at one point, I want to talk about this specific moment. At one point, you were seated alongside Regis Philbin and his co-host on Live with Regis. Tell us about that and what happened. Okay, well, you know, growing up, I used to watch, um, you know, Regis and Kelly. Uh, I'm sorry, back then it was Kathy Lee Gifford. So Kathy Lee and Regis were, uh, like, whenever someone would say, what would be your ideal show? Because that's what they ask you a lot as a host. What is, the, what is the job you want? And I'd always say, well, that would be the perfect job for me. Um, when Kathy Lee Gifford actually announced she was resigning, I freaked out because I was already working in entertainment news. I know that those things are attainable. I know they're not easy, but I also know that's a real job. There was a 
real opening, and I had a really good team in place, and I wanted to go after it. Um, again, you know, there were people in my family who said, well, everybody would like that job. Like, it wasn't realistic, but right. sure enough, I got called in, and before you knew it, I was actually on air, and I did four shows with Regis, and it was looking really good. Um, that was a career highlight, without a doubt. And I was very proud of myself because I never let anyone say that was too big of a reach, and I just pushed it, and I got in there. So to the, all of a sudden be called the runner-up, you know, to Kelly Ripa, or to be told I was the front runner, um, which was written about in Entertainment Weekly, as a matter of fact. That was pretty cool. But then not getting that job was like, oh, man, you know, you get so close to holding the brass ring in your hand, and then it slips out. And I realized that those jobs are few and far between. So at that time, um, you know, it took me a few days to process. It was like, A, how amazing that I got that close. But once you get a taste of that, then what is there? I really wondered what would be comparable. And I kept working, and I got a job um, next as a news anchor and at CBS in Dallas, was trying to do some crossover into um, national news shows. And um, 10 years later, after Regis, that's when I had this huge round of success again with The Onion. And I had worked at Fox News Channel, and, you know, it really, it really reminded me that there are opportunities, but you just can't give up. I, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, please. I was going to ask what the, what the takeaway was for you with the Regis air quotes failure. What did you figure out about yourself and, and modify, if anything? Well, you know, I don't consider it a failure. I consider it a major success. I mean, they say that every single host, you know, in our country wanted that job. Actors wanted that job. Everyone wanted that job. There was a short list that got whittled down to 500 people. And I kept making those cuts. Um, literally, I was one of the final people in the last rounds with Regis, and it went really well. What I do know in this business is that we can only control what we can control. I did a very good job. I handled it so well. I had amazing reviews. But if you look at what they were looking for, they really were wanting to recreate and not change the mold, which is Kelly Ripa was already on the network. She was already well-known on ABC, um, who owned Regis also, um, for her years on All My Children. She was married and Many people didn't know it, but she was pregnant. So they were already going to be welcoming in, you know, another tried and true um, mother and, you know, just like Kelly had been. I mean, Kathy Lee. And so, um, you know, it wasn't anything I could have done to change it. And I do believe that opportunity is what then got me other opportunities. So there was no downside of it. It was just an amazing experience. And Suzanne, I think everything you're saying is so true. And you sound like you, you know, have had the perspective on this experience to sort of realize what was really happening, which were all the facts of the situation. But certainly, mm-hmm. I think we all know when you're sort of in the moment and going through something like, I think as women, especially, we tend to always make it personal and attend to assume, you know, this is a great yeah. failing on my behalf, or everything I do is wrong, or I'll never make it <laughs> in this industry. You know, when you you are so optimistic and I love your point of view on all of this but do you have those moments where you feel really like you're beating yourself up and what do you say to oh those times gosh. where you don't oh sort gosh, of remember yes, the facts absolutely I think we all do and um, I'm actually just finished an ebook that I'm going to publish and I talk about you know how there's that moment after an audition where all of us feel like oh we should have done this or we should have done that um, I do feel that after time the more you do work in this business the more you do realize you can only control what you can control um, that being said, sure, I'm hard on myself. Uh, we're all hard on ourselves, and uh, I balance a lot of different things. I have businesses that I run. I still work on camera, and I have a wonderful personal life, but it's a lot to balance. And I think 
um, yeah, people who know me say I'm pretty hard on myself. But again, I think you'll find a lot of high achievers actually uh, kind of get there because they, they don't settle for, for less, you know, they settle for more. I also think um, something that always particularly terrified me about the idea of being on TV is like I can tell you all of us normal people hate the idea of hearing our own voices. It's why I never <laughs> listen to an episode of this podcast. But when you're on TV, like, do you, you know, do you watch the tapes of yourself? I'm sure that's part of how you improve and have gotten to where you are. But I would think that would be so difficult. I think that's a lot of people's worst nightmare is watching themselves. Yeah, you know, when I coach people, that's the moment they hate. That's fun for me, and they hate it when we watch the playback. And um, I tell you what happens. The next time they come in to the studio to be coached, they're dressed up. They have better makeup on, you know. Um, It's something I'm used to now. And just like everybody else, um, sometimes it's hard for me to see something because you're worried. You're worried about that one mistake you feel you made or what are you going to look like? Are you going to look heavier than you feel? Or, you know, did you say something silly? But the truth is, and I, I really do preach this, you have to watch what you do to get better. You have to. Um, when I went to Fox News, it was a big departure from what I had been doing because the Fox News channel obviously is all news, 24-7 content, international news, and my experience had been primarily in entertainment. So for the first two or three weeks that I worked there, I would not watch the playback. I didn't want to intimidate myself. And the truth is, the second I saw it, I saw five things I could change, and instantly I was better at it. So, no, it's a lesson. You have to watch yourself. Mm. Listening to yourself is actually harder. <laughs> like, I'm not even thrilled when I hear my playback for, like, a podcast or radio, right. but if I can see myself together, I'm much more comfortable with a camera that's a video camera than I am with, like, a still camera. I can't pose for somebody and smile and not feel ridiculous, <laughs> but I'm not, a, I'm not at all uncomfortable. Um, to me, the camera is like talking to another person. Yeah, that's interesting. And actually, I, I think that's really motivating what you said is listening to it or, or sorry, watching yourself and seeing these five things right away. It's almost mm-hmm. it's kind of nice to think of you can instantly be better at this. It doesn't have to be a long, torturous process of years of analyzing yourself on television. It's very true. In fact, honestly, that is the quickest way to improve is to record yourself, watch it played back, and then change some things and immediately see the difference. When I'm coaching somebody, I can ask them to be louder, and they think they're louder, but they're not louder. And then they watch playback, and they're shocked that they weren't louder. Or I can say, we need a bigger smile or for you to be more animated. And um, they think they're being animated. And then when I put them over the top, where they think they're being ridiculous, flailing their arms, they'll look at the playback and go oh my gosh, that looks amazing, you know? So you have to have trust. The problem is if most people who work on television don't practice first, they haven't trained. You know, training to work on television is, is sort of new in the last several years. It's gotten mm. much bigger and more popular because of reality TV and so many um, non-broadcast professionals having to go on to broadcast. But most people learn while doing, and that's scary. It takes away a lot of the fear if you get in a studio where you're not being paid and millions are seeing you, but you're actually going to practice and see and work out those bugs before you actually get those big jobs. Do you think there's a non-TV version of that? You know, for somebody, because I, I, it's so interesting to think about what you're saying and this idea of being in front of a camera that you really can practice that and get better, and that sort of becomes some armor against failure, I think. And I'm just wondering if you have any career advice for people in non um you know, TV fields? Like, how do you sort of practice? Part of it, that's a really, really good question. And I want to, again, say there's a lot to be learned 
by recording yourself do anything. For instance, I've had people work with me who are doctors, lawyers. I've had a doctor work with me who said that after watching playback, he changed his entire bedside manner. Like he hmm. had no idea how he came across and his, his customer service reports got better. You know, this is something I see a lot. And I have a lot of people tell me, um, boy, it helps me get a better, I have better chances now when I apply for a loan from a banker, how I deal with people on television. So understanding how we come across to others and life, whether you want to work on camera or not, um, can be a big motivator. And also, I think we're always afraid in life of the unknowns. So one piece of advice I have about anything, if you're going to go speak somewhere, um, for instance, whether you put yourself on camera or not, the more things you can know, the less scared you'll be. Hmm. It makes sense. It's less intimidating if you know the size of the room, how many people are going to be in the room, what type of people are they, if you can go see the room and walk the room. For instance, when I did Regis, um, the show with Regis, I was able to go to the studio the day before and just walk through it. And the first thing I noticed is it's a very small studio. I had performed in much bigger studios than that, but I didn't know that. And had I gone on you know, sight unseen, I might have been more nervous. Instead, I felt very much at home. Um, those types of things. So I think in life and in general, um, try to educate yourself. Knowledge is power. They say that and, and there's truth to it. Patty, isn't this making you feel like we should go back to Cosmo and videotape ourselves doing our jobs for a day? Yeah. <laughs> yes, I guess I do listen to, I transcribe my own interviews, which I think is very helpful. And I'm always shocked when young writers ask if we can have an intern transcribe something. And I'm like, well, I don't know, maybe get a little more seasoned first. Because every time I tr transcribe an interview, I hear myself, I don't know, kind of over talking giving the answer to the question that I want to, you know what I mean? And it's just like, shut up. And I realize when I'm listening to the interview, just shut up. Um, you know, and then even going back to when I was a waitress, like I, I went and I opened my first bottle of wine, convinced I couldn't do it at the table. And sure as shit, I broke the cork. Like, that was it. But I guess my can I, point... Can I tell you, I'm actually horrified uh, to try and open one with a regular... I have to use those kind of openers where it's, like, so easy. A three-year-old right. could do it. That's the only kind I can do. Yeah. Anyway, I feel like the other thing is not having the fear of failure, going ahead and doing it. And the next time you try to open the bottle of wine at the table, it will hopefully open. Or the fifth time, if you're me. Yeah. <laughs> or any you know, day now. about transcribing, um, you know, it's important to keep in mind that when we speak, like with what you're doing, we speak very differently than we would write or perform. Because you can be so nice and neat and clean with that when you're writing. Um, but people talk over each other, and we say more than, like you said, you maybe want to. But you should be confident that, first of all, you're doing the job for a reason. Somebody gave you that opportunity, and nobody has to generously, out of the goodness of their heart, give you a responsibility. So if somebody did, it's because they already had faith in you. And that's something I think a lot of us forget, is that you know, if you're religious, they say, you know, God doesn't give you more than you can handle. Well, generally speaking, in the workplace, people give you opportunities because they can see more in you than you can see in yourself. And that comes with experience and that comes with age. It comes with all of it. So confidence will increase. But I can tell just from talking to you briefly already that you guys are professionals. You know, you know what you're doing and, and you're taking this opportunity and you're going to build something even bigger from it. Suzanne, you are the most motivational person on the planet. I'm going to call you every time I feel like a failure. I love it. <laughs> this has been amazing. But thank you so much for jumping on the phone to um, share all your wisdom and all your um, encouragement with us. And I'm going to force myself to play back this episode of the podcast. Yes. <laughs> so, we, so 
so it'll be better. Thanks, guys. Thank you. <laughs> Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Our next guest has an incredible story and is quickly becoming a household name as an actress and comedian. She starred in the comedy Keanu, and now you can see her playing Nikisha on the NBC sitcom The Carmichael Show. Hi, Tiffany. How are you? I'm fantastic. How are you today? Good. Where are you calling us from? I'm in Los Angeles, darling. Oh. Yeah, time. oh I, always, I always imagine you actress types are doing, like, fabulous things every time we get you on the phone. <laughs> Hilarious. I just left In-N-Out Burger. <laughs> <laughs> that is fabulous. That's perfect. <laughs> so, Tiffany, for our listeners who aren't familiar with your background, can you tell us a little bit about your story of how you got into comedy? Well, I grew up in foster care, and I used to get in trouble in school all the time. And my social worker was like, one year she's like, look, Tiffany, you got two choices this summer. You can go to the last factory comedy camp or you can go to psychiatric therapy. <laughs> and I was like, which one got drugs? She said, you're going to be on drugs if you go to therapy. And here I am almost 20 years later, you know, on drugs <laughs> and telling jokes. I'm doing my thing. Um, trying to keep from being depressed. I love it. I love it. So we're talking on this episode of the podcast for Cosmo. We're talking all about failure. And I think that that is why it's so great to talk to you, because comedy just seems like an incredibly difficult industry to break into, especially, you know, for women. Um, You know, have you ever been up for a role that you felt so confident about and then lost it? Girl, girl. (laughs) I was up for a role where they said, we're looking for a Tiffany Haddish type. Went in, they're just supposed to be me. They wanted somebody like me. And I go in for the role, and they were like, oh, you're amazing. You're perfect. This is so you. It's you. It's, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, well, you have my name in the description. So <laughs> it should just be me. <laughs> and then they ended up giving it to a white woman. No. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. It happens so often, you know, you'd be so surprised. And then at the end of the day, though, you have to realize, you know, everything's not for you. Even if they're looking for you in particular, it might not be for you. But how? I ended up getting, I ended up right after that booking the movie Keanu and like, boom. (laughs) And, but how do you deal with something like that when that happens? Like, do you, do you have days where you're just like, that's it, this is done, I'm leaving this all behind? Like, how do you motivate yourself to keep going? Um, I, you know, some days, some days I do, like, why am I doing this to myself? Why am I torturing myself? And then I have to realize, like, I stop and think, like, well, I've had way more good days than I've had bad. And rewards, the reward from it is so much, it's so much better, you know? It, when things go wrong or things, like, you don't get that part or don't get that job or that guy that you really want doesn't want you. It's like, okay, well, what, what else you got in store for me? Because love be something better. Usually, it's something way better for you right around the corner. Oh, Tiffany, so, and, you're and, breaking and up. Friends. You're breaking up just a tiny, tiny bit. Oh, I'm sorry. Like I was saying, when things don't go right or whatever, or you or like you don't get the job, or you feel like the guy that you really want doesn't want you. I usually just go, okay, well, what's around the corner? Because it must be something better for me. And usually it is. It's always something better. And it prepares you to really appreciate the good stuff. That's how I feel. 
Do you have, when you're going on auditions and it sounds like you're really good at keeping yourself positive, do you have a routine? Like, what is your pre-audition routine? What do you do to get yourself pumped up? Girl, okay, so first, <laughs> first I make sure I know all my lines, okay? I know my material, and I'm confident in the material. Then I do I do this in the car. I go, baby, daddy, baby, daddy, baby, daddy, daddy, baby, daddy, baby, daddy, baby, daddy, child support, child support, child support, child support, child support, child support, success. And I don't need any of those things. Success, success, success. Then I go into the audition and I go into the, you know, the waiting room, sign the thing, and then I say a little prayer inside my head and I feel the reality in my head to get me like pumped up to be, be like sexy and fierce. And I go in and do my thing. <laughs> oh my gosh. So you definitely have a routine. Yeah, there's definitely a routine, for sure. I need a routine. <laughs> I know. What am I doing wrong? That's, a, like, an amazing routine. Yeah, how did you stumble yeah. across your routine? <laughs> well, like, cause, you know, when you like, when I was in high school, it's just, like, drama and stuff, like, you know, warm-ups. They had warm-up before you do your scene or whatever. Oh, Tiffany, class. you're breaking up just a little bit again. I'm sorry. Because this guy in my bed keeps on texting me. You're too popular. <laughs> yeah, that part. But, um, um, be am I breaking up now? Yeah, no, that sounds better. Yeah, because that guy's texting me, man. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> that's going to work. There's another producer. So, look here. Um, yeah, before we was do, do our scenes in drama class, we would warm up. So, I feel like, you know, before I go into an audition, I have to warm up. So, you know, over the years, I've come up with different ways to warm up, but that's the best way that I feel. And every time I do it that way, I always end up booking a gig. That's amazing. That's amazing. Um, so I think comedy seems like a career that, you know, very much has a sense of community. Is there a feeling like of comics leaning on each other in times of rejection? Has that helped you? Or is it almost the opposite where it's so competitive that you kind of feel like you need to be, you know, your own biggest cheerleader? Well, I think everyone should always be their own biggest cheerleader. <laughs> and and no matter what, and I don't care what career you're trying to do, always be your biggest fan. You don't have to go around like, yeah, I'm the best, I'm the best. But like in your head, you need to be like, I'm talented, I'm coordinated, I'm good at this, I'm good at that. Like you need to always be telling yourself that. I think that's important. But as far as the community and comedy, like there's a few comics that I keep kind of close to me that I deal with that. You know, we're always encouraging each other. We're always looking out for each other. Oh, man, you can get that part done there and then get the next thing, you know. Um, always support, like, when I see them, we all retire, you know. But then there's other comedians that I try to stay away from because they're just too negative. Yeah. You know, and that negativity is contagious, man. I, speaking of negativity, I always thought that would be one of the most difficult things about being a performer that everyone thinks is funny is that expectation that people have that you're like that. 24-7 and all the time and you know on the topic of failure you know is it hard for you like there must be times when you just want to be in a bad mood about something girl yes I do it when I'm at home alone mm -hmm. I'm cussing you know <laughs> sometimes I get in the shower well a lot of times I get in the shower and I just cry because I feel like crying is healthy because yeah. we were all born crying and crying is nothing but a removal of old beliefs and a replacement of new ones and I think if you don't cry enough, like at least once a month, then it's like piling up all this stuff and then you're going to have a breakdown. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, so love that you're, I, I love that you're putting a specific... 
sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. What'd you say? I said when I wash my body, I try to wash the inside and the outside. Yeah. You know, yeah. A, little, a little good cry, get a cry out. You know what I mean? Yeah, I like that you have like a specific number of times. You're like, it should be at least once a month. <laughs> yeah, at least. And no more, no more than, if you're crying more than five times a month, uh, if you're crying more than one, <laughs> there is a problem that needs to be addressed. It but, needs to be in that sweet spot, one to five times. Yeah, yeah. That's like taking, you know, five poops in one day. Something's wrong, <laughs> you know? So... Once a month is good. That's healthy to me. Yeah, two, maybe three times. You know, something extreme is going on. Okay. Anything more than five, that's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, since this is cosmopolitan.com, obviously something that we talk about even more than we talk about failure is love and dating and sex and relationships. And I do think that's an important thing to bring up because it can be even harder to deal with, you know, we're primarily talking about failure in the context of, you know, feeling like a giant professional failure, but it's even harder to process that when you feel like your personal life is up in flames. And I think we've all been there. Um, You know, have you ever had to deal with that sort of like stinging heartbreak or, you know, something major in your personal life that made it hard to focus on your career? Girl, yes, I ended up getting a divorce, mm. married for five years to a man that was verbally and physically abusive. Oh. Okay, the more successful I became in my career, the more difficult that relationship became. It was toxic. It was like it was like I was back in foster care all over again. Like I was reliving my teen years for I don't know why, yeah. but. I have no clue why that even happened to me, but now, like, when I'm dating, I super pay attention to signs now, like, uh, the red flags, I, I honor the red flags. Like, back then, I was like, oh, he loves me, he cares about me, yes, he's showing up everywhere I'm at, and it's because he loves me. Yeah. Not even thinking, hey, he's probably a stalker, and he was, like, <laughs> he was a complete stalker. But I thought that was love. I had no concept of what real love is. And now I think I have an idea of it. And still it's very hard to date because I'm successful than more successful than an average male and a lot of men have issues with women making more money than them and the ones that don't have issues with women making more money than them usually are only raised by their moms and so they're used to being like provided for for everything and I'm like I'm not about to be your mama. Right. So right. it's like it's it's constant like trying to figure out where I fit in and then is this guy even right? And there's all kinds of guys that come at you and you don't know if they're coming at you because they want your money or because of your, your popularity or is it because they really care about you. It's, it's confusing. So I just, you know, I just pray on it. <laughs> yeah. I never thought of, you know, we hadn't really, at least in the context of this episode, I guess it's actually something in my personal life I think about all the time, but I think you're exactly right. It's interesting to think about the more success that you have professionally, that that kind of is on the other side of a teeter-totter with your personal life. It can feel like mm-hmm. when one thing is going up, the other thing is kind of suffering. Right. Cause it's like you got you got to find a, like a healthy balance. Like I have a boyfriend right now, right? Mm-hmm. And he's a very regular guy. He just works at a power plant. He's like a Homer Simpson type, you know, <laughs> very regular dude. And he had no clue who I was because he doesn't watch TV. Doesn't really, he's not really on inmate. Doesn't know who I am. Yeah, just thinks I'm a pretty girl. <laughs> he's like, what do you do for a living? Hey, I'm just in the entertainment industry, and and leave it at that. 
He's not even on social media, so he has no clue. No clue. He's down south somewhere. He's no clue. Wait, how did you meet this guy? Girl, I was I just I was filming a movie with one name that happened to be in the in the bar and I and I found that he was like really beefy and good looking, so I just walked up to him, grabbed his arm and said, Hey, you beefy baby and I walked away. <laughs> and I just kept dancing and enjoying myself and then I thought that me and my friends were best. And then he comes racing down the street, excuse me, miss, excuse me, miss, anybody can get your number? Uh, you just you just took off. <laughs> and I was like, sure. And we talk on the phone and stuff. And then he, I went back out there to, to like, visit him. And he introduces me to his friends and family. And they knew who I was. But he was like, you didn't tell me. You, you just said you were going to do the channel thing. You didn't say you was who you was. <laughs> and that is, it became a problem. <laughs> it became a problem. Me. It became a problem. He Googled me and saw, like, me and Arsenio Hall. Like, I was on there a bunch of times. Like, are you sleeping with Arsenio Hall? <laughs> like, No. You ever slept with us in your No, I've never slept with us in your What'd you look at space for? I was like, I couldn't believe it was real. Like, I never met him before that moment. And he picked me up. It was so amazing. I wanted to make sure it was real. So I licked him. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. So Love it first so lick. He's so insecure now. I don't know how long this relationship is going to last. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. He's like, you know Kevin Hart? Your friends are Kevin Hart? Like, why you want a guy like me? Why would a girl like you want to be with a guy like me? Because you're handsome. And I like you when you thought I was like Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And But I guess it gets to a certain point where you don't want to have to keep, like, reassuring the person you're with. Every day. Yeah. Right? And it gets, that's going to get irritating. And then I'm going to be like, and bye. Mm. Yeah, but if they're successful themselves, right? Can't they then not feel so insecure? If they have, if they have, like, confidence. Mm. Like, some men don't, they want a woman to depend on them for everything. Some men feel like, you know, they just want you out to themselves. It's so confusing. Yeah, or like, like. Where do you find that happy balance? It's like, oh, should I just date in the industry? But then, you know, you're subject to date. That's community dick. I'm sorry. That's a community man. Like, <laughs> <laughs> everybody. <laughs> <laughs> oh man um we're just gonna have to bring you back on to another episode to hear more stories about your dating life i feel like there's yes. a lot to unpack here but to end on to end on a note about failure um what <laughs> advice on a final sort of note tiffany what advice do you have just for anyone listening who's dealing with rejection right now like maybe just this morning they got passed over for a promotion at work or something terrible happened what would you say to them right now i would say go back to the drawing board write out some goals whatever your goals are and just start doing one thing every day towards that goal and focus on the goal don't focus on the failure learn from it but focus on the goal and watch how fast if you can do one thing every day you'll get there in a year or less but if you can do five or ten things every day towards that goal you will get there even faster and you will have more successes than failures but learn from it though Appreciate it. Be grateful because some people don't even get that close to even be able to be uh, even considered for something, you know? That's true. That's true. Mm. Well, thank you so much, Tiffany. It was so great talking to you. I'd love for you to come back on and tell us more dating stories. Seriously, Girl, so funny. Dating stories, revenge stories, a lot of stuff. All right. I'm going to call you again. <laughs> Thanks okay, so much, Tiffany. Back. Thank you. All right. Bye bye. Bye.
Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Our final guest today is going to give us a little insight on how to handle rejection and failure. Welcome celebrity psychotherapist, Dr. Lisa Palmer. Hi, Dr. Lisa. Hey, thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, thank you so much. So we've been talking about failure all day long, which actually has not been quite as much of a downer as it might seem. I feel like, Patty, we've been laughing a lot. Yeah, the silver lining is that you get better. Yeah, you get better. Exactly. So, um, Dr. Lisa, before you earned your PhD, you were Miss Vermont USA. How did the Mm -hmm. pageant world teach you to handle rejection? I think for me personally, it really gave me a thick skin because it helped me to realize that rejection is really a part of life. And I think when you first experience a great rejection, you really don't know how to take it and you go through all those emotions and anger and sadness and, you know, all these different emotions that come with rejection. But you you either are going to uh, get back up again and keep on going or you're going to just take it and be sad and not go anywhere in your life. And I just decided to not give up and get back up again. So it really gave me a thick skin to go on and and pursue my goals and dreams. I think there's something really interesting about pageants in particular. And at Cosmo, our readers are just obsessed with watching them. um, And they're totally into it. But, you know, there's the idea, if you're thinking about a televised pageant, pageant where you were literally watching the entire stage full of women be rejected and like that's part of the stakes of it is you know I think as an audience we like to see you know what's that about and how are they going to handle it and yeah seeing these women on stage and not being able to answer questions I was actually watching a Miss Nevada USA pageant last night um, on the live Facebook feed and every time the girls got up to you know answer a question I kind of cringe like oh my goodness are they going to know what to say and and you almost kind of feel their embarrassment Mm -hmm. when they don't know how to answer so it is it is uh, a fascination that I think we have as a culture to see how other people handle rejection for sure for sure Um, And speaking of the way people handle rejection, one of the things that we were mentioning earlier in this episode is that there have been studies that show that women are tougher on on themselves and tend to get discouraged faster than men do. Why do you think that is? And, you know, most of our listeners are women. What do they really, what do women especially need to know about handling rejection? I think that, you know, women are more emotional, just the way that we are programmed. Uh, We are more emotional and we have to be careful about that because anytime we experience a rejection, you know, all of those feelings that come up for us, we may have more of a tendency to be depressed or angry or anxious. And these emotions can really get in the way of our progress. And that is a big thing. And then also negative belief systems is something that I talk about a lot, you know, feeling not good enough, not worthy. Uh, unwanted, unaccepted, and these negative belief systems can be so toxic because they control how we act and behave in our life. And women have generally have had less opportunities um, than men, and we really have to fight against that, and we have to have, you know, overcome these obstacles for ourselves. So a lot of women can get very, very much down on themselves, and there's so much at stake, you know, what it means to be a successful woman. It's not just brains, it's how culture looks at us. You know, we have to be pretty, we have to be smart, we have to be good mothers and good wives, 
you know, it's not just about um, how we perform at work, but it's how we perform at home, too. So the rejection can come in so many different areas of our lives, and it's so easy to take things personally. I think on that note about rejection, um, you know, specifically romantic rejection, I actually have a theory about this, which... I almost hate to say this because I wish it weren't true. So that's part of why I'm running it by you. But I think Mm -hmm. with romantic rejection, I think it's basically almost impossible to get over an ex until you're with someone new. You just like really need to replace them. (laughs) But is that true? Um, You know, that's what they say, right? But I think that you see these women that they're in one relationship after another and then they're never happy. So I also believe that we have to really work on loving ourselves. And I know that sounds really cliche, but if you don't love yourself and if you don't, if you're not happy in your own company, how could you even be a great partner to somebody else? And nobody else is really going to fully fulfill you. It shouldn't be 50-50, it should be 100-100. I bring 100 of myself and you bring 100 of yourself. And together we are whole, you know, and we, you know, we, we complete each other but not in a way of you're filling a hole for me. Mm -hmm. I need to fill that hole for myself, and I need to love myself, and I need to have my own self-worth, self-esteem, feel good enough about myself, and then bring that into a relationship. Um, You know, one thing we talk about a lot on the podcast is, like, of course, so many of our readers are primarily meeting people that they're dating, you know, on dating Mm -hmm. apps. Um, Do you... And a lot has been talked about, you know, the idea on dating apps that you can sit down and quickly swipe through and essentially reject, you know, 50 Mm -hmm. people in one minute and people can do the same to you. Do you what is your opinion on whether this sort of constant stream of um, disposable people, which a lot of dating apps, you know, are set up that way now? What is your opinion on whether that affects people's attitudes toward dating in general? Definitely makes people not want to do dating online after a while because, I mean, how much rejection can you take or how much disappointment can you take, really? That's how I feel. (laughs) Yeah, and I think that people kind of have high hopes in the beginning. And then I think for women, it's more of them feeling disappointed about the men and how they're acting, and then feeling, why am I even doing this, and what kind of quality man am I going to meet on these sites, and are they really out there for a relationship, or are they just playing around? So I think for women, they feel very disappointed that they're not going to meet a quality man online, and I'm not going to say that there aren't women that don't, you know, meet a partner and marry, you hear those stories, but I think that, you know, nine times out of ten, um, they're not meeting a quality man online. Right, right. Um, well, now that I've taken the conversation in a totally downery <laughs> direction, are there any sort of last, um, I guess this is actually specifically what I want to ask you. Um, we've been talking yeah. all about how to cope with failure. What is your best piece of advice for if you're really in the moment, you know, like as something is happening, like that feeling of being at work and feeling like the tears are welling up in your eyes? You know, what is the best thing that our readers can do right in that moment where you're sort of really feeling the sting of rejection? You know, first of all, you have to be aware of your emotions and where they're coming from and acknowledge them because so many people try to numb out or avoid uh, those feelings. 
and you, you have to be aware of your emotions and, and self-aware and meditation can really help a person to to become more aware of themselves um, also recognize what I was saying before about core belief systems and what belief systems negative belief systems are being triggered mm-hmm. by what's happening you know am I feeling not good enough am I feeling unworthy and then fact check that you know is that true is that a hundred percent true Am I not good enough 100% of the time, or is it just this instance, or is it this person's story and not really the fact of what, is, what has happened? So looking at the story versus the fact, and focusing on the positive, and focusing on the times when you are good enough and you are worthy, and the strengths that you have about yourself, and realize that, I like to say, you know, fall five times, stand up six that every successful person is going to have so many experiences where they don't make it to where they want to make it at that moment. And it doesn't mean that that's never going to happen. And it doesn't mean that you're the problem. It means that maybe now is not the time or there are some experiences that you need to learn from, you know, in your life to grow um, within yourself. So don't give up and keep going and, you know, reframe the rejection as a learning experience and realize that everybody goes through it. And it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you, but that it, you know, may be an obstacle that you need to overcome within yourself and in your life and that you can do that. And you might want to even think about, some very successful people and the obstacles that they've been through in their life and how they did it and that they overcame it to where, you know, they are now. Right, right, for sure. And be grateful for your own strengths. You know, focusing on your own strengths, I like to say, you know, making lemonade out of lemons. Right. You know, just focusing on everything that you do have and trying to make what you have the best that it can be rather than, you know, wanting to have what somebody else has. So being grateful for yourself and who you are and trying to develop yourself to the best of your abilities and capabilities. Great. So that's what I would say. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Lisa. I know you have to run, but I really appreciate it so much. <laughs> thank you so much for having me on the show. I'd love to do it again. Yes, of course. I feel more successful and less I know, like a I'm failure already. <laughs> Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. I have to say I loved that Dr. Lisa referenced the whole, like, turn lemons into lemonade because it always makes me think of that, like, dorky souvenir that they sell where my parents live in Florida where it's like, when life hands you lemons, like, grab vodka. (laughs) (laughs) She had, like, the PG-13. Have you seen that? No. And so, like, you know, one of those things. But that's what I was thinking about when she said that. Um. Patty, do you feel better? Do you feel um, like you got this? Was like a little therapy session for us. I feel. No, I do actually feel yeah. like okay. Let me just take over the world now. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Suzanne, especially the very first person we mm. jumped on the phone with, she was just so endlessly positive. And you know, I hadn't really thought about you know her whole career, but in any kind of entertainment or TV, you're really sort of living out your your. Um, failures in a very public way right so at least i get to be a failure in private 
Yeah, and until you record yourself and then somehow that video leaks. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um right, exactly. So great. Now I have that to look forward to. Yeah. Um well any last words or um little things that you took away from the episode? Um final thoughts about failure. Final thoughts about failure. You're probably not one and failure is just an opportunity to find a new uh, success. That was great. That was great. All right. I was a success. <laughs> you were a success. <laughs> that was a successful conclusion to the podcast. Well, thank you so much, Patty. Um, as always, I love to have you on. Thank you. And I did not choose this you for this episode because you're a failure, obviously. That was just a joke. But um, <laughs> And thank you all of you guys for listening. As always, I appreciate it so much. I love to hear from you, so feel free to tweet me or Insta-stalk me or whatever the kids do today. Anywhere at Elisa Benson, E-L-I-S-A-B-E-N-S-O-N. Oh, Patty, do you want to shout out your Twitter handle? Um, it's at failure. I'm just kidding. Um, yeah. Do you kind of wish? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just Patty Greco, Patty with an I. Patty with an I. Um, and thank you guys, as always, for listening. Please subscribe and share and rate and listen to the podcast. And I will see you guys next week. Bye. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.